At our home just recently, we've started talking about summer camp. Our daughter Treya is super excited. It's, it's the one thing she wants to do this summer is go to camp. And so if you've been paying attention to the links this morning, you'll notice kids, if you're listening this morning, there's even a coloring contest about camp. So you might post that, adults too, uh, in the Facebook chat this week. So when I was thinking of camping and talking about that at home, my mind jumped back to about 2006. My kids were finally old enough to start camping and tenting again. But if we were going to camp, we needed a bigger tent. By then we had four kids, uh, we had suitcases, we had a, a baby pen, we needed a place to be able to stand, hopefully full height. We needed to change diapers. So I did what any dad would do. I went to the Canadian Tire and I went looking for the biggest possible tent they had. And what I found was the 13 person cabin tent. This thing is massive. It has four rooms. It has uh, two like curtain things that divide. It's uh, a vestibule at the front where you can put your all your suitcases like an entryway. So uh, we have loved this tent and we've been using it mostly in the summers, uh, specifically at Pioneer Camp, uh, family camp. And we stay in that thing. And uh, oh, by the way, camp registration is open. There's a shameless plug, get on the website and register today. <laughs> but uh, what I've loved about tenting in this particular tent, it's like every time we break that thing out of the bag, it opens up a special world that we all love. And it, it allows uh, us to live in that outdoor space for a whole week, sleeping in the cool night air. Uh, and living in a tent, what I love about it is it allows you camping activities. It, it puts you in this life outside the city, outside the normal rules. No mirrors, no makeup. That's me anyways. Um, and days full of adventure. But as you know, if you've tented, Tenting life also gets messy. There can be dirty clothes everywhere. Uh, I don't know what it is about kids' suitcases, but they just explode all over the tent. Um, there's wet socks. The, the wall of the tent can get, dirt, can get wet in the rain. And it can get cold at night. Suddenly that soft mattress is all hard and lumpy and your blankets get twisted. Maybe one of your kids gets sick in the night or has to take that scary cold walk to the bathroom. By day five of family camp, I often start longing for home. You see, in tenting, what I thought about this week, in tenting, there's two realities at play at the same time. They're both true. One reality is I'm alive and living in a tent. But I also have a comfortable, secure home back in the city. My real home, if you will. Two realities that are true at the same time. So in this passage today, I wanna to invite us to consider tenting as a metaphor for life. Tenting, like life, is, is fun, but also messy. It contains adventure, but it sometimes makes you groan for home. Life, like camping, throws us many circumstances, both good and bad. But I would argue we actually have a choice to make while we're tenting. Uh, will we be defined by those circumstances? I want to show you a quick image, and it's by a guy called Scott the Painter. And uh, in this image uh, on Instagram, I loved it. 
uh, you're going to see a shark. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it popped up on the screen, but doesn't sometime like life today, doesn't it feel like you're in the jaws of life and you have a choice to make whether I am more than my circumstances? Um, so as we think of that, and as we now dive into the text, my attention was drawn to verse 7, which says this, For we live by faith, not by sight. So in that short little verse, I see this. I see that how and for whom we live in this world is actually more important than where you live or how life is treating you. So you see, living by sight involves where you live and how life is treating you. But living by faith involves how you live and it involves a different kind of sight, which we're going to talk about in a moment. So first, let's dive into the text. I want to talk first about tenting, a little more detail there. As you know, Paul was a tent maker, so maybe it's no surprise that he's talking about tents. The word in Greek is skenos, and literally it can mean a tabernacle or a tent. But in the usage of that Greek word in the day, the word skenos actually was a metaphor for the human body. Uh, in which the soul dwells as in a tent and which is taken down at death. So you can sort of see that Paul here is using a vivid image of the day for the grinding struggle that he and the Christians were facing as they tried to follow Jesus. Like tents, our life is fragile and can be easily destroyed. Like tents, our life is not our eternal home. It's like a temporary residence where we long to dwell in the eternal presence of God. And tenting like life is often a place where we groan to God because of feeling, like the text says, naked or meaning vulnerable. Instead of needing to be clothed, which you can read as secured by God. And as a side note, doesn't naked in a tent sound a lot like camping with kids? That's beside the point. So then next on to the groaning, he talks a lot about it. It comes up in the text. I was listening to a little talk by N.T. Wright this week. He featured his book called God and the Pandemic. And he said this, the world is groaning as in labor pains, as it always seems to have been. And Paul also in scripture talks about the world groaning. And then N.T. Wright goes on to say, what's our task as Christians in a time of global groaning? He says these things, being there in our various roles in the world in all sectors. That's the first thing. Second, start asking as you're in your roles, start asking what we can do to help a groaning world. And third, stop asking why is COVID happening? Okay. He's really arguing that the, the life of living by faith, not by sight, aligns with the very practical things of the real world. So where you are in your daily work, no matter what age or stage, you have a chance to address some of the groaning of the real world in a really tough time. So now Paul talks about by living by sight. I think we have to dial down into that a little bit. Because you see, as earthbound humans, I think we get stuck in a 2D view of life. 
I think we get stuck in thinking only in terms of a, what you might call a secular reality. Our sense of what's real gets limited to just our five senses. We over-rely on our viewpoint as creatures of the world. See, back, uh, it's been happening for a long time, but even in 1960s, in 1961, there was a theologian named Boltman, and he wrote apparently a very powerful article calling for the demythologizing of Christianity, by which he meant the project of removing all reference to miracles or supernatural in the Bible. And this has led to what uh, recently Professor Craig Gay of Regent has called practical atheism among Christians, by which he means the taking care of your own self and your own needs as if there is no God. Until, of course, an emergency like COVID happens. So now after talking about living by sight, we need to talk about what does living by faith mean? And I was really helped by a Bible project video called Heaven and Earth. And they have this really cool image in it, which I believe you're going to be seeing projected here. And I think it helps us think about what it means to be a biblically realistic person. In the first panel, I want you to notice these two realms of heaven and earth. And so the first step in becoming a biblically realistic person, I think, is to think of heaven more. To think of this fourth dimension of reality as real and, and, and really important. You see, the Bible calls us to take seriously not only the physical earth dimension that we can see and touch with our five senses, but to be a biblically realistic person, it means to take seriously the dimension of heaven. But I will caution, as Paul does, not like the Greek thinkers of his day that wrongly focused on a kind of heaven that was all about a disembodied future, uh, life of the soul, uh, where then the physical life was inconsequential. That is not what we're talking about when we say heaven. So then we see panel two, and I want to argue as they do that heaven is near in a way that heaven and earth actually overlap. Tim Mackey at the Bible Project says it like this, heaven and earth are depicted in scripture as distinct but overlapping dimensions of divine space and human space. You see, heaven is the space where God lives. Um, and earth is also though a space where God lives and moves, but where to us, he seems largely invisible to our five senses in our three dimensions. But let's remember, even in scripture, uh, God walked in the garden. The angel of the Lord uh, moved and appeared among his people. And in the New Testament, Jesus actually lived in our world among us. The second part of this panel too is both heaven and earth are affected by sin, even though God is not. That was a new idea for me. You see, Jesus acted for heaven within earth when he ministered here and what he accomplished on the cross. So when we act with God uh, on earth, with Jesus, it brings these little bits of heaven on earth. You see those little uh, bubbles of kingdom uh, popping up. And we hear this uh, in different scriptures, like Ephesians 6 talks about how our battle on earth is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual powers. In Luke chapter 10, when the 72 have come back from their amazing mission, they're telling Jesus all about how they saw demons casted out and people healed. 
And about that, those moments, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning, by which Jesus seems to mean Satan was displaced from his spiritual ruling place when they did their physical ministry. So when we speak and live out God's truth in this physical reality, the spiritual forces of heaven are shaped and shaken. In the third panel that we're looking at here, the reality of Jesus' spiritual work brought when he did on the cross has really brought heaven near and real and effective in our current reality. The kingdom of heaven is, you see, not a separate uh, non-physical space somewhere where you'll fly away uh, into the by and by. Instead, the kingdom of heaven is a state where these things happen. The kingdom of heaven is where God is proclaimed as king. The kingdom of heaven appears anywhere creation obeys the king. And the kingdom of heaven is anywhere that the vision and values of the king affect everyday reality. And finally, on this fourth panel, you see that the reunification of heaven and earth is the whole point of God's plan. So folks, can we stop imagining the physical earth doomed for some kind of fiery destruction? Can we stop imagining that heaven is somehow far away and disconnected to this reality? And can we remember that right now Jesus lives in that heaven in a transformed physical body on God's throne, interceding for us day and night. And then let us start living as agents of God's kingdom in heaven as on earth right now in this temporary tenting reality. Okay, so let's dive back into the passage. And as, as we do that, I see Paul wrestling with this whole heaven-earth reality. Uh, tenting versus an eternal home, at home in the body yet away from the Lord, or at home with the Lord and away from the body. So I think what is happening here is he's actually struggling for language to describe something that's hard to describe uh, in both these physical and spiritual overlapping realities. You see, the first century Christians, like Paul, had a strong belief of Christ's imminent return in their generation, that the heavenly body was about to appear. And Paul has a hope for a future bodily uh, life in God's eternal kingdom of heaven as it comes to earth. And he roots this belief in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. But in the meantime, he says stuff like this in verse 2, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Verse 4, To be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up by life as we live this life. I love that phrase. And again, it reminds me about camping. It reminds me of those best days when uh, it's full of amazing adventures, days full of swimming and climbing and paddling, evenings full of sitting around the campfire roasting marshmallows. So while temporarily tenting in this current uh, reality, I think Paul is calling us to not depart from it, but instead to be clothed with the heavenly reality. Because as we know, tenting life is also full of what is merely mortal, the struggle and pain that causes groaning, 
just like those camping days of rain, uh, when, when the tent gets wet, when, when the milk goes sour in the cooler, when the kids come back with skinned knees. Because I see this passage ending with Paul pointing us to a day when death will finally be swallowed up by life as we live forever, forever with God in the fully merged heaven and earth. Verse 10, we read this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So in Paul's view, in the Bible's view, there's a day coming when this camping trip is over. And that's a good thing. But judgment day, like, how, how is that a good thing? It is a good thing. So for Paul and in the Bible, when they talk about judgment day for those who are in Christ, it's actually a good thing that I want to encourage you to think of more like an award ceremony. This is what I mean. Yes, at that judgment day or award ceremony, our gaps, our sins in this life will be shown, but not in order to condemn us to death. Christ has covered that, remember. Instead, Judgment Day is a place where God will heal and restore what is broken and then show where he was at work in all of that and elevate all the good that we were part of with him as we walked with him in this time of death and decay. I mean, if, if there were people here, I'd, I'd maybe call for an amen. You could say amen at home. There's a day coming where the groaning ends and the next life begins. So as we, as we move towards an ending, I, I want to I highlight three things. Three things for living by faith and not by sight as we adopt this tenting lifestyle. First one, keep your eyes on the eternal in the midst of everyday life. What do I mean? A couple weeks ago, Mark Anderson talked about uh, uh, living in greater freedom and increasing glory as we go uh, in this life with Christ. Then last week, uh, Paul talked to us uh, from chapter 4 about steering clear from what is just seen and what is temporal. And see, there's this, there's this path in this difficult time of the pandemic that I think uh, is a good thing that can actually help us dismantle our dependence on and our confidence in this physical realm. And it has to do with living with an eternal perspective in the now. How can we do that? Well, here we go. And this relates to the other thing that the kids have found attached to the sermon. And it's about putting on the glasses of the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't already, download this, print it, and maybe upload a picture of yourself in your glasses this week. What do I mean, the glasses of the Spirit? I think we need to put these on as it says in verse 5, where it says this, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Spirit deposit, down payment. It's like this first installment of this uh, kingdom of God a resurrection life in the now. We often fear this kind of strange living in the spirit because we hear phrases like, well, don't be so um, heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Because we have a false sense of what it means to live by the spirit. We have this false dichotomy of spirit and physical realms. 
as I said near the beginning, how and for whom you live in this world is more important than where you live and how life is treating you. Living with the glasses of the Spirit, guiding your sight, is going to help you to do a few things. It's going to help you to live like Jesus, who lived in the daily uh, circumstances with an eternal view, who lived with his feet firmly planted in real-life events while remaining spirit-tuned to God his Father. And like Jesus, who rose early in the morning and stayed up late at night simply to be in the Father's presence with the Spirit. See, in all of this, we go back to Jesus for our example, for this practical, powerful life in the Spirit. I'm not saying that it's easy. It's not easy. It's actually a lifetime of uh, trial and error. And it's more like an art as we discover life in the Spirit. In, in this time of COVID, I want to highlight a little example in our own church where I think some people are living life in the Spirit, and it's in our Granville youth. Um, just recently, I've invited uh, the youth over these five Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday to explore baptism. And you know what? 19 youth have joined me in these classes uh, Sundays and uh, are, are learning and looking forward to perhaps all or some of them being baptized on Easter weekend. So would you pray for them? Would you intercede and uh, would you encourage them in that spiritual journey as these 19 young people go towards baptism? That's living by faith and not by sight. So the second thing in, in uh, our, our living with this uh, faith, not by sight, is reorient your life with a focus on pleasing God. I see this in verse 9 where Paul says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So what is this pleasing God? I think what it means is seeking to align with God and his kingdom ways with whatever's happening. And may I suggest that I think this is going to be the discipline of some confession and repentance that is going to help us towards this realigned a lifestyle of pleasing God. And here's how you might do it, even this week. First step, ask. Ask, Lord, do I make idols out of created things, and do I worship at other altars? Second, repent. Uh, Lord, uh, can I turn back to worship you in every area of my life? It's a call to holiness. And third step in that process is simply to invite. Invite Lord, make me like you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and adjust my sight to reorient my life. The third thing, the last tip for living by faith and not by sight in this tenting lifestyle is return to joy. You'll notice uh, several times in the Bible there's phrases like the joy of the Lord or I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. It sounds like a lot of fun. Joy is the state we are meant to live in and the fuel we are meant to live by as we live by faith. Joy is a spiritual condition that humans can achieve that actually impacts our physical, even neural pathways. Scientists are telling us this. So how we live joyfully with Christ in the midst of this camping trip called life, how do we do it? Three short things. I think, one, we visualize joy. Visualize a joy-filled life with God. 
uh, it's very tempting to do the opposite. So visualize joy. Second, plan for joy. Do something joyful this week. What do you love to do? Is, is it walking, running, riding? Is it sitting alone with a coffee? Is it reading a good book? And as you do that joyful thing, just become aware that God is with you in your joyfulness. And thirdly, reflect on joy. Take quiet moments to wander back in your memories of joyful times. Visualize those times and the five senses that came into play. Dwell there with God and thank Him uh, for these times. Allow your joyful past to inform a joyful present and future with God. So this week, would we take care uh, to pitch our tents well? And let's remember that stuff happens when we're camping. Branches fall, noises scare us at night, suitcases explode all over the tent. But even these become some of the memories that we fondly remember later. So let's lean in and enjoy this camping trip because Jesus is camping with us. I'm going to close us in a time of prayer. So would you, would you just bow your head and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus who is with us, Spirit attending with us, would you help us to see you and your eternal viewpoint as we put on our glasses of the Holy Spirit this week? Would you help us seek to please you? Would you guide us maybe in that through confession and repentance? Show us, Lord, if we've made idols and worship at other altars. Change us, Lord, into your image and invite us, Lord, to daily become like you. And lastly, Lord, would you bring us to joy? As hard as this life is with so much going on, would you bring us to your joy? And uh, even as we tent in this world, may we just have the best of days, even as we go through the hardest of times. So I pray all this for these people and the people of God said, Amen. Amen.